Welcome to the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate Podcast, brought to you by Limitless Estates, where Kyle and Lolita talk to top experts and seasoned passive investors in the business to help provide clarity and key insights to keep you safe on your journey to financial freedom. Our goal is to help you get educated on how to create passive income for you and your family by using real estate as your vehicle. Now, here are your hosts, Kyle and Lolita. Before we get into today's interview, I wanted to tell you all about a special event that we are very excited for. For anyone who is interested in learning more about multifamily investing and ways to get started, we are hosting an event on Sunday, May 5th from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. in Long Beach, California. There will be a fantastic lineup of speakers, Kathy Fetke, Kenny Wolf, Jeff Greenberg, and that's just to name a few. We'll have breakout sessions, you'll meet local vendors, lunch will be provided, networking, special giveaways, and much more. The best part is we are offering a 50% discount for all of our listeners. Type in the promo code PODCAST, all lowercase, at checkout and you'll receive this offer. But you need to act fast because we're only giving this discount to the first 20 people. To learn more about this event, please go to www.multifamilymeetup.com la.com backslash la-meetup. This website will be in our show notes, so don't worry. Sign up and join us for this great event. We hope to see you there. All right, now let's get into today's episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome and thank you for joining us for another episode of the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate Podcast. I'm your co-host, Lolita, also joined by Kyle. Today on the show, we have Jeff Greenberg here with us. Jeff, thanks for your time. How's it going? Well, thank you guys for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. Uh, Before we get into the interview, here's a little bit about Jeff. Jeff is the CEO and managing member of Synergetic Investment Group. Since 2007, Jeff has been investing in multifamily and student housing assets in emerging markets. He has been involved in over $30 million of multifamily properties consisting of over 800 units. He currently controls over 300 student housing beds and properties in Georgia, Arizona, and Ohio. So today's main focus will be on student housing and how you found success in that particular asset. So with that being said, Jeff, could you please tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself and what you currently do? Well, I mean, we do more than just the student housing, but student housing is one of my favorites. Uh, But uh, we're currently uh, closing on a uh, large uh, multifamily property out in Texas. But student housing seems to be a niche that not too many people are familiar with. And uh, because of that, it gives us an opportunity uh, where multifamily properties are a little bit tough right now as far as finding the good deals. Perfect. Thanks for that. So obviously today we're going to talk about student housing. So can you talk about your story on how you got started in that niche? Well, that's kind of, kind of was a fluke. Um, I had a 19-year-old intern that was doing some work for me. He was looking for properties, and he brought the property to me. Um, he was afraid to tell me where he found it until, we af- until after we actually closed on it, and then he actually told me he found it on LoopNet. Um, <laughs> it does happen that um, there was two other buyers failed to close on it prior to us, and so the price that we got it for was much lower 
than what it was originally being sold for. So we did get a good deal. So there are deals on LoopNet, uh, usually not at the price that they're looking for. And typically there's some type of problem with them, but he was able to find that property. When he first told me about it, that it was at the, uh, in Ohio, and he said it's at Miami University. I had never heard of Miami University. I thought, what are we talking about, Florida? And he said, no, Miami of Ohio. And I said, I've never heard of that. Other people I've spoken to have, and it's a great school, but I had never heard of it. And uh, so he brought that opportunity to me. Got it. And so can you talk about the nuances between and the differences between maybe student housing and multifamily? Mm-hmm. There's, there's several things that are, are critical. Um, the main one I'll start with is property management. Uh, you need to be dealing with a property management company that specializes in student housing and doesn't just maybe do it, you know, once in a while or something. They have to specialize in it. They have to be staffed for it. The uh, main things on student, student housing, first of all, you have to know when the lease-up window is. And that seems to be typical, uh, dif- different on uh, different schools. Um, also, sometimes with different properties. But there is a specific lease-up window. In my Ohio property, if we don't have things leased up by the end of March, we could have a, a definite problem leasing it up in all of my units except for the studios i have 12 studios now my 12 studios could lease up all the way up uh, down through august but typically we have 100 percent leased up uh, by the end of march and then uh, maybe the august uh, these uh, studio apartments which are usually rented by um, grad students uh, young professors or some people that just don't really want to be with a group of people. Um, and those may rent out all the way up till the beginning of, of the semester. Okay, so the lease up window is critical, but also the marketing is critical. Uh, you don't just put your ads in apartments.com or, or Craigslist and expect to have it leased up. Um, my property management company, they go to on-campus events We advertise in on-campus magazines. Uh, My Georgia property, we actually uh, pay the athletic department to allow us to put a a video clip um, on their jumbotron for every home basketball and home football game. We actually have a 60-second clip that gets played at every game. Um, So the marketing is, is totally different. Also, we have people on my... Arizona property that we have people that are posting on Facebook and Twitter and, and all these other uh, areas where young people uh, look and, you know, the social media. So if you don't have a management company that is willing to or able to do that kind of extra stuff, uh, you're going to be in trouble. Then the other thing is, is on some of my properties, we actually help out with roommate matching where uh, there may be four people living in a, in a room in my Arizona, it's actually five and somebody may come in either by themselves or with a couple people and the property manager will will give them a questionnaire to see if uh, they are compatible. 
one of the big things we find is um, young people having difficulty uh, living with each other and compromising. And so we try to uh, arrange for them to, uh, to be compatible. You know, you don't want the partiers to be in with the people that like to go to sleep early uh, or the ones that are up studying, having, you know, a lot of partying friends. So those are critical. The other thing that I would say is if you can get a property with a one-to-one -one parity on bedroom and bathroom, that's going to be a plus. Um, the uh, students don't really like to share. And even if they can get a tiny bathroom, they'd rather have that than to share a bathroom. Um, my, some of my Ohio properties, uh, I've got four bedroom, four baths in them. My George, my uh, Arizona property, I've got five bedroom, two baths, which is not as desirable. My Georgia property, I have four bedroom, two baths, which again, are not as desirable. I've even heard of people taking a four bedroom, two bath and splitting it to a two bedroom, one bath, just so the uh, tenants have fewer people to, you know, have disputes with, or fewer people to have to get along with. They only have to get along with uh, one, one roommate rather than uh, multiple roommates. So those are, those are all key issues uh, in the student housing. Um, you do get more, you're going to get more turnover because you're, you may turn over a majority of them uh, each year, but it's also going to depend on the particular market as far as what's available. In my Georgia property, there's very few other options. So we're more than likely we're going to be able to keep a lot of them. And that one we've only had for, uh, well, it's coming up our second full year is coming up right now. So we'll see what kind of um, uh, turnover we get. My Ohio property, there's lots of options. So there's going to be a lot of turnover. Um, the one other point is distance from the school, either distance from the school, which in Ohio, it's, there's an area called the mile square. If you're within a mile square, which is a mile from the campus, you're going to be hundred percent occupied. If you're outside of that mile, you may not be. Uh, my property in Arizona is two miles away, which is a little bit far. So it's a little more difficult. My property in Georgia is a block from the campus, which, which makes it great. So those are a lot of the things that you need to look for and, and some of the major concerns that you have uh, with the student housing. For that property in Arizona, since it's two miles, is there something that you're doing differently to market it or maybe, you know, get it on the map a little bit more? Because I know they have a lot of student housing out there that borders the school. Yeah, there is. And the main thing is, is we know that we're not going to be the high-end provider, that we're going to be the lower-end provider because of where we are and the distance. And also, we don't have any amenities. We have a picnic area, and that's about the only amenity. So if anybody wants a pool and a gym and even though we do have a park directly across the street that does have a pool that's open during the summer and a soccer field and, and a gym, um, that's not as desirable as having, having it on the property. So we do a lot of marketing, um, but that it's, it's a little more stress. And we do know that it's not going to be, we're not going to be getting the twelve to $1,400 a bed that they get on properties right next to campus. But if we can get 
if we can get uh, $500 a bed, you know, that's, you know, that would make us happy. That's, that's the expectation. We don't expect it. Yep. And so it sounds like the timing of the close of the property may play a big role in your business plan, because obviously if you're closing on the property in the middle of the school year, or maybe just at the end of the lease up, you may miss that lease up window. Are there things that you can do once you've missed that lease up window to possibly, you know, um, help with the downside? You can try. Um, we actually, on the Arizona property, we actually closed late and the, it would have been okay. I believe if there wasn't some missteps by the property management company, which we ended up firing after six months, but they, and that was, that was too slow. We should have fired them a lot faster, but they had some missteps. They actually hired a marketing company and the marketing company dropped the ball. And so the property management company dropped the ball and we should have, we dropped the ball by night firing them three months, four months earlier. So that put us in a definite stress situation. So yeah, we can step up marketing and try to pick up, uh, you know, extras. We're also open the property up to non-students just to get, you know, even market rate in there. We're also looking at traveling nurses. We're looking at uh, corporate rentals, um, those kind of things, just to supplement until we get uh, that one, that particular one, leased leased up properly. But yeah, the, that that could be serious. And and the thing is, is my Georgia property. We bought that at thirty percent occupied. We bought it because of mismanagement, and they didn't know what to do with it. There was a lot of people in there that weren't students. There was a lot of drugs going on inside. The, the place was a disaster. And uh, here we are two years later, actually next month will be two years and we're at 100% occupied and selling it for uh, almost four times what we paid for it. Very so, nice. Congratulations. So that was a more of a success story. <laughs> that one That one worked well. So with students, are you seeing more damage? And so therefore there's higher expenses that are associated with that on top of what the marketing is? Well, we do, we do um, require a larger deposit with the students than we typically see. And no, um, you know, people talk about it. Everybody's, everybody's seen Animal House. So everybody looks at that and thinks about what these guys are doing to the property. And I've been pleasantly pleased that we really haven't seen it. I mean, you see some silly things, you know, someone uh, spray painting their, their, their project, you know, without bothering to put any paper down. And so you could see the outline of their project all over the, all over the outside deck, you know, brilliant things like that, or, or uh, shot glasses or beer caps uh, in the garbage disposal. Um, somebody leans on a cabinet. So you got a cabinet door that's broken off. I mean, some of that, well, you do get, you know, wine spilt on the carpeting, you know, stains. I've, the one that I, I still don't under, quite understand is, is when you get iron marks um, in the carpeting, you know, that, that some people just don't realize that you have to stand up an iron and you don't put it down on its face on carpeting and it will, <laughs> that it will melt. And that one, that one kind of amazes me that uh, they, they have that little in the way of sense. But the biggest problem we seem to have as far as call outs are uh, 
clogged toilets because people throwing something that doesn't belong in the toilet down it and uh, lost keys, you know, so they would, you know, bust in the door. Oh, and the other one that we, we find a lot of is uh, 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 boyfriend, girlfriend fights where the boy push, you know, shoves down the door where you get the door broken down. Um, so we do see some of that. And also you see some of the ones, uh, frustration, you know, holes in the wall where somebody punched a hole in the wall or, or punched a hole in the door, you know, those uh, domestic uh, things going on. Okay. Any other downsides on why someone wouldn't want to get into student housing versus multifamily? Well, I mean, I, I think I named all the downsides, <laughs> but I, <laughs> I named a lot of them. Um, and that's the, the main thing is, but the, but the downside is also the creates the opportunity. So, so somebody else is providing me with an opportunity to fix what they messed up. And that's the thing. Oh, I did want to mention one other thing. If, if you can't get, if you can't get within, within a mile of the school, uh, well, first of all, you have to make sure you're on the right side of the school. If you're way across the other side of the fields, you know, where someone has to still walk a long distance, that's still a good distance away. You want to be on the correct side of the, the school. But the, the redeeming thing that you can get is if you're uh, close to the bar district, if you're close to the party place, um, so they can walk home and not have to get an Uber, or not have to try to drive, that, you know, then you're okay if you're a little bit farther from campus. But as far as, you know, those are the, the dangerous things is, is the timing. Uh, but as I said, those also can give, be an advantage if you, could, if you could do something that somebody else wasn't able, able to do and get proper management in there. And definitely has to be management that, you know, could be nice to the, to, to the tenants, smile and tell them pay up or get out, you know, still, you know, the previous owner on my Georgia property wanted to be uh, friends. They wanted to be friends with the, uh, mm-hmm. with the students and that just doesn't work. You can smile, be nice but they pay or they're out. So are you seeing on your property management companies coming in, are you providing more staff on site than you would a normal multifamily? Yeah, kind. well, yes and no. Um, My Georgia property, it's a 36 unit property um, where normally we wouldn't have on site on the 36 unit. But on this one, we have a full-time on site manager and a full-time maintenance. Um, so yeah, in that case, there just seems to be a lot of work to be done. And originally when we were underwriting this, I said, Oh, we don't need to underwrite staff. And then I talked to them more and they say, yeah, you better have a, you better have staff. And so that was it. We also have a security patrol. Okay. So that's an additional cost as well. Um, my Arizona and my Ohio property, um, we don't have any onsite. Um, both of them have offices, you know, a couple blocks away. And so for rental stuff, you know, they could go to the office or a lot of the stuff is done online, uh, that kind of stuff. So in those cases, I'm not quite sure why my Georgia property has the issue, except it is a lower economic area where the Ohio one is upper middle class and the Arizona one is probably middle class students. The Georgia one is, is a poor clientele. And I don't know if that is part of the reason we get a little more violence and a little more uh, problems with that one. 
Okay, so we focused a lot on the downsides to student housing. Can you maybe talk about some of the, the reasons why you do like student housing and, and some of the uh, positives? Well, part of the positives are, are also part of the negatives is if I could fix something that somebody else has messed up, uh, then I'm going to make a lot of money doing that. And so that's part of it. The, there's the value adds that you get out of it. Um, you also are going to get higher rent uh, on the student housing where, um, you know, with, with some of the rooms, the units that we, we uh, didn't fill up on my Arizona property, we can't get nearly the rent. Uh, if we go to uh, market rate renters uh, compared to what we can get with um, with the student housing. I mean, we could get about 500 a bed, so that's about $2,500 per unit per month uh, on the Arizona one. And as far as uh, market rates, probably be down, you know, $1,700, 1500 1700 somewhere on there. And so you can't get nearly the, the rents that you can. So if, in theory, if you could go and find a property that's close to a university and you can buy it as if you were going to rent it to market rates and then convert it to student housing, that could be a huge value add because you're, you're not paying the student housing rates when you're purchasing it. Right. And that leads me to my next question. Have you done any repurposing of, of multifamily or any new development, or is this strictly purchasing an existing uh, student housing facility? Yeah, we have not done any repurposing. We've done a lot of remodeling and uh, stuff with, especially with my uh, Georgia property, but no, I have not, but I, I do know some people that have. And the main thing you want to do on those is make sure you know the local ordinance or, ordinances. Um, in Arizona, there was a situation where a lot of the houses that were close to the university, people were taking these three-bedroom, two-bath houses, and then in the backyard putting a, a duplex, you know, f you know, four twos, you know, uh, you know, two of them. So you got now you've got eight, eight more people living in the backyard, you know, on these buildings. And so what um, the city did, this was in Tucson, what they did is they made a requirement of the number of parking spaces that are required per bed. And um, if you couldn't find space for parking spaces, you couldn't add the units. And so that was their way of restricting the, the growth of these units in the back. You know, they had to, and so there was some people buying, you know, renting, um, parking spaces from somebody else, you know, next door that didn't need them, you know, so they could use them for their units because they had to have enough parking spaces in order to, to build. But um, so it's, it's key that you find out the ordinances uh, in, um, in my Ohio property in Oxford, Ohio, they have a requirement that you could only have four people, four unrelated people living in a house or in a unit, excuse me, in a unit, uh, no matter how many bedrooms you have. Okay. So, you know, you've got to have a five and six bedroom property and you can only uh, use four bedrooms. Right. Unless you could, unless you could break it off and make it in a separate unit. If you could take those other two bedrooms, say you had a six bedroom, you make it so there's a separate entrance, a separate kitchen, and you make it a separate unit, then you may be able to do that. But otherwise, 
they are doing that to restrict things. Okay. So and you are you, know what the ordinances are. are you furnishing your uh, units or are you uh, having the students do that themselves? Um, my Georgia and Ohio, excuse me, my, yes, my Georgia and my Ohio are, are uh, furnished. Uh, my Arizona one, it's, uh, they have the option. So we have two or three out of the 20, I believe, that are furnished. And if people want to pay, uh, I think it's an extra 75 bucks a month, um, we'll furnish it. Okay, so that's kind of a value add. Yes. Okay. So if someone wanted to invest passively in student housing, what would one of your suggestions be before getting into that niche? Well, as any other passive investment, you know, get to know the sponsor. Um, you want to know the track record of the sponsor. You want to know what, you know, what they're doing as far as, you know, if it's in the student housing area. Um, you know, I mean, very similar to a typical syndication or passive investment. The priority needs to be the sponsor. And then the next, next would be the deal, vetting the deal, vetting the market, uh, all of those things. Great. Lolita is going to take us into our final four questions now. Are you ready? I am ready. All right, Jeff, here we go. What is the one tool you use in real estate investing that you could not do without? Um, let's see. My team uses Slack quite a bit. Um, we also use Podio. Those are, are excellent tools. Um, those, are, those are probably right off the top of my head, the most important. Um, oh, oh, Google Drive, Google Drive and Dropbox. Mm -hmm. I use both of those. Perfect. Can you tell us a story about your biggest mistake in real estate investing so far? And what is the main takeaway for our listeners? Well, the probably the biggest mistake is one I already said, which was not firing the property management on our Arizona property quick enough. Mm -hmm. Um, so I won't repeat that one, but I did have one in, um, uh, I had a, my first property we bought was a 20, it was 20 units. It was five fourplexes in Harlingen, Texas, down in South Texas, if you know where that is, mm -hmm. near, Brown, near Brownsville. Um, and my broker wanted to be the property manager. So I let him be the property manager. And so the biggest issue I had was, not firing him soon enough um, because he it, he was losing money as a property manager for me because his business was selling houses and he lived 35 miles away. And every time he was coming on out to my property, he was not doing what he needed to do for his business. And it took until, he, by the time I had fired him, we had six vacancies in a 20 unit property and you're not paying the bills when you've got six vacancies. And so I had to, I had to fire him. He's still my friend and he's, we still talk uh, and he still tries to find me properties. And he actually was the one that found the Houston property that we, that we bought uh, a couple of years later. So it's just that I would never put him on as my, my manager again. So the lesson learned is fire quickly, hire slowly. Mm -hmm. Yep, I've heard that before. Yeah. What, what is it that you need to do now to grow your life to the next level? Um, a lot of it is, is getting deals coming in. 
Um, I have a team of people that are looking for deals. They're doing most of the stuff that uh, most of the tasks necessary to run a multifamily business. And most of the stuff that I'm doing is raising funds. And um, I'm trying to train my, my team to also do that. And if that was the case, I'd pull myself back and maybe look for another real estate niche or something, but letting them do all of that. So uh, getting my, my team to learn more about how they can raise funds, that, that would uh, make my, uh, my business life much, much better. Awesome. And lastly, Jeff, where can people find out more about you? Well, you can go to my website, which is uh, synergeticig.com, spelled S-Y-N-E-R-G-E-T-I-C-I-G.com, um, or reach out to me at jeff at synergeticig.com, same spelling. Perfect. Well, thanks so much for your insight and educating us with your take on student housing and why this type of investment may be the next best kept secret if done right. So everyone, thanks for tuning in and we'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you guys very much. It was fun. Thank you. Thanks for listening. To learn more about the passive income through multifamily real estate podcast and to get access to today's show notes and to previous shows, visit limitless-estates.com. If you enjoyed this show, please subscribe to the podcast. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in again next week for another episode.